0: Now, the truth is, uh, how can you not be enthusiastic about the love of a God like this? Isn't it incredible? It reminds me of a story of a lady who was on a Saturday. She was leaving choir practice, and someone gave her a bumper sticker as she left that, that, that said, Honk if you love Jesus. Leaving the choir rehearsal, she was very enthusiastic, and so she walked out to the parking lot and took the sticker and immediately put it to the bumper of her car. On her way home, she got stopped by a red light, and um, so she's sitting there in front of the red light, not paying too much attention because she was fumbling in her purse, looking for something. The light turned from red to green, but she didn't notice because she was fumbling in her purse. All of a sudden, the guy behind honks at her, and she's like, look at that. The bumper sticker is already working. So she rolls down her window and leans out and waves at the guy. You love Jesus. I love Jesus too. And then um, about this point, the other people behind that guy start honking their horns. And one of the men says the name of Jesus. So she's like, yeah, me too. I love him too. And then she looks up and realizes, oh, the light is green. So she goes through the intersection. And as she gets through the light, she's the only car who makes it. The whole line of people stopped, begin honking their horn. And she is so delighted because apparently her bumper sticker has stirred a revival in the streets. She pulls over and waves at all the people honking, gets back in her car, and leaves. Now, I I need to tell you, I kind of think that's a made-up story. I read it, but I think it's hilarious. I mean, the truth is, we have good reason to be enthusiastic about what God has done for us. And one of the things that we should be enthusiastic about is the fact that God invites us to have a daily relationship with him, and it is often found and expressed through moments of prayer. We're going to have an extended time of prayer. And prayer, while it is simple, it is so complex. Some of you, I don't know how you are in your prayer life, do you feel satisfied that you're getting it right, that you're doing it like you should? I mean, is, is, is your prayer life really everything you want it to be? I mean, I know a lot of people, they, they think things like this, I don't have time to pray, or I don't know how to pray, or I've tried before and I didn't get what I wanted, and so, you know, I don't know if prayer works. Maybe some of you are like this, where you say, I'm not sure there is a God. I mean, I think there is a God, but I don't know that he's gonna be involved at the level of my life, so I don't get what prayer is all about. Maybe some of you have decided, well, I've tried praying. I've prayed uh, verses or prayers out of the Bible, and that kind of felt a little put on and contrived. I've also gone freestyle, and I kind of get lost in my prayer, and and I feel confused. Um, I'm not really sure how to do this. I mean, that others might think, if God already knows everything, which he of course does, why should I bother to tell him he knows it already? Um, maybe you're here today and you're thinking, well, you know, I, I kind of did something bad last night in the last couple days i I'm probably like in a spiritual timeout, and I don't think God wants to hear from me. Well, whatever is going on in your mind about prayer, the fact is this that we are commanded to pray. 1 Thessalonians 5.16 says simply this, pray without ceasing. In Luke 18, Jesus tells a parable, and the point of his parable is this, that men ought always to pray and not to lose heart. So you prayed for something and nothing happened, so you quit? no. Man not always to pray and not to lose heart. Jesus taught his disciples how to pray. At the beginning of his ministry, Jesus went to the wilderness and he spent 40 days in the wilderness praying. And the night before he was betrayed, he spent the whole night in prayer and sweat drops of blood as he prayed. I mean, prayer is so important. I mean, it, it's simple and yet it is complex. Prayer is actually where human beings step into the presence of God. Prayer has, the, has power and is effective according to scripture. Prayer keeps us in the right attitude before God. Every time we take circumstances of our lives and we look up to God and we, we, we put them into our prayer, we, we've just changed our perspective of, about that particular thing. And we're living in the presence and the perspective of God and seeking his help. In James chapter five, which is our primary text, verses 13 to 18, it says this. Is any among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing songs. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Confess your trespasses one to another, and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain in the land for three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its fruit. I mean, look at this verse, this passage, it's filled with ideas and thoughts and instructions about prayer. So let's look at a couple things in particular. Number one, prayer is where we meet God. Prayer is not just a plan to get God to do what we want. Notice this passage talks about the fact that we should be praying all times. You should pray when you're suffering. You should pray when when things are going well. Your, your cheerfulness should be turned into a praise Prayer is about walking with God and getting to know God and living our lives in the presence of God. I mean, the truth is, stuff is always happening in our lives. It's it's, it's like we're driving down the road and the landscape constantly changes. I mean, the, sometimes we suffer. Sometimes we're cheerful. Sometimes we feel like singing. Other times we're crying. We, we Sometimes we get sick and we feel helpless and desperate in those moments. Sometimes we have to deal with our sin and failures and we need to confess our sin. We need healing, physically, spiritually, emotionally, all at the same time. We are constantly in need of of, of the presence of God. And when you need to ask God for help, that's called prayer. Um, No one loves you like God does. He seeks to hear you. If you're in trouble, pray. If you're... If you've sinned, pray. God wants everything in your life to drive you to a relationship with him. Prayer is where we meet God. Prayer is where we develop this relationship with God. We should pray without ceasing. Secondly, prayer is powerful and effective. Your prayers matter. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man or woman avails much. Prayer is powerful and effective. In John 14, Jesus says a very interesting statement. He says in verse 12, Most assuredly, I say to you that he who believes in me and the works that I do, he will do also. Okay, so you believe in Jesus, you want to like Be on a page with him as far as what works you're trying to accomplish and what your agenda is. And greater works than these he will do because I go to my Father. And whatever you ask in my name, that I will do and that that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Look at this invitation. God invites us to join with him, to accomplish the will of God. Now, you can't take this verse out of context. This does not say that God at any time promises to give up his sovereign rule to carry out his plan of the ages and do whatever you say. No, he doesn't say that. But to the degree that you and I agree that the will of God and the plan of God is what is best for ourselves, our families, and the world, and we ask for God to guide us and to do what we, what we feel like is in front of us, he will do it. Jesus goes to the Father. He prays for us. Our prayers are a part of the work of Jesus against the power of sin and death. We can actually storm the status quo. God's all about changing things. We can change the oppression we encounter. We can change the power of sin and death as we seek God and his will. We stand with Jesus who stands at the right hand of the Father constantly making intercession. Our prayers make a difference and we are invited into his work. Our prayers are powerful and effective. Now, how do we bring together the understanding of the omniscience? He knows everything, his power, his sovereignty with the command to pray. I mean, omniscience means that God already knows everything. God is powerful and rules over all things. Nothing happens outside of the plan of God, and God is always in control. So why do we pray? Do our prayers make a difference? The truth is yes, God is sovereign, and yes, our prayers make a difference. Figure that out. If we are commanded to pray, then we must pray. If the scriptures say that prayer has an effect, then we must just believe it. I love how Tim Keller deals with this kind of complicated, you know, prayer is simple and complex. Tim Keller says this, if God came to you today and said, if there is anything you ask for, I will give it. If you think it will be good for you, good for the people around you, and will glorify God, I will give it to you without condition. If you think about this, then it should make you very aware of the fact that unless your prayer wasn't wrapped in the sovereignty of God, you could get yourself and a lot of people into a lot of trouble. One of the reasons why we must pray with a surrendered heart under the sovereignty of God is because we could mess things up, right? The sovereignty of God is such a beautiful thing because God says, you can't mess it up. You seek me. You pray. You ask me. You do it under, under surrender to my sovereign will and my sovereign plan and, and, and I, I will answer you. Um, the problem that you and I have is that we're finite human beings with a limited perspective. You have no idea what the events of your life right now are going to do in the generations to come. Have you ever asked for something you really, 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 really wanted it? And then you got it? And then you didn't want it anymore. And you realize that was a mistake. Tim Keller describes a comedy routine that was really a political spoof, And it was a routine of a family of gun enthusiasts who were sitting around a table and everybody had guns. The whole family had guns. At one point, the little kid at the table said, Dad, how come you haven't given me a forty-five Magnum with armor-piercing ammunition? And the father said, Well, I can't do that. You're just a child. You're too young. I've got to at least wait till you're 10 before I give you a fortified magnum with armor-piercing ammunition. It's a joke. You would never give a child something so powerful. God says, I am the sovereign God who wraps everything within my control, and I make sure, as you navigate life, and you make requests, that only my will gets through. You know, some of the greatest theologians are country singers. Have you ever heard Garth Brooks sing his song about he got married and he took his wife back to his old high school and when he was there he met his old high school sweetheart. That's the girl he had prayed and prayed that God would let him end up with but it didn't happen. And then he left his hometown, and he met his now wife, and his song is about thank God for unanswered prayers. Wow, I dodged a bullet. One of my favorite stories is the story of President George H.W. Bush and his wife Barbara. One day they visited Barbara's hometown Pull up in this big limousine to the local gas station, and they go inside, and there is Barbara's old sweetheart working there. And the president said, when they got back into the limousine, just think, you could be married to him, but instead, you're married to a president. She said, don't kid yourself. If I married him, he'd have been the president. Don't know if that's true, honestly, but I love that story. There are reasons God don't, doesn't answer your prayer. You know, you may be sitting here today and you're mad at God because he didn't give you what you wanted. You know what, you know really what that's like? You're like a spoiled child throwing a fit because God protected you. Have you ever been that person? I have. Secondly, prayer is effective. Number two, prayer is all about coming before the throne of God. And I love how it is described in Hebrews 4, 14 to 16. Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed from the the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession... For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Have you ever been in a time of need? You know, one of our biggest problems is that we look at our lives and we decide whether or not we're in a time of need or not. A lot of times, we kind of will say to God, um, "God, I don't really need you here. I've got this. I don't feel like I need you. I, I'm, I can handle this, God. I'm good to go. I don't need you to. I, I'm strong enough. I'm smart enough. I'm able enough." to not really need you, God. But the truth is, we do need him. Every minute of every day. Somebody at work or at school says something that are carefully crafted words to, intended to harm you or put you down. There's a chance that you might respond badly you might decide to pay, repay evil for evil. Or maybe you're gonna take those words that you acted like didn't matter and they actually did penetrate and they wound you deeply and we act strong and tough, but actually they've lodged deep within our souls and they cause us to doubt ourselves, our worth, and our future. I mean, we do need God in those moments. When we have a problem with our spouse or child, our finances, it is so easy for us to drift into resentment, bitterness, envy, and disobedience. Could our struggles that we're dealing with right now lead us to try to cope by doing things that are dangerous or destructive or addictive? Uh, could, Could we maybe be tempted to give in to lust or fear or panic? You know, the biggest problem is we, we, we end up hurting ourselves with our exaggerated sense of self-sufficiency when we have this invitation from God that says, come to the throne of grace and get help in your time of need. And our time of need is every time. It's interesting that it invites us to the throne. Who sits on a throne? Maybe a king? It's, it's God. He's inviting you to come to His throne. We can, we can come with confidence. He's there. It's God who is there. When I pray, oftentimes I'm tempted to begin my prayer and my prologue is reciting to God all of my needs, my sin, my weakness, all the bad things going on in my life. And by the time you get done with the prologue, You and maybe God, too, is depressed. You know what we should do? We we should recognize where we are. We're coming to the throne of God. Maybe we should begin by talking to God and appreciating in front of God His power. The fact that He, at that very moment, rules over the cosmos... That with this God whom we approach on his throne, there, there is nothing that can defeat him or confuse him or frighten him. This is the God who delivered David from the giant Goliath's hand. This is the God who delivered Daniel from the lion's den. This is the God who gave a baby to a 90-year-old Sarah. This is the God who speaks a word and Jesus says to the storm, peace be still and everything goes quiet. This is the God who parts the Red Sea and a million people walk through on dry ground. This is the God, Jesus, who walked on the water the God who will judge the nations in righteousness, God who is able to do more than you and I could ever ask, think, or imagine. I love Ephesians 3, 20 to 21. Now unto him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. To him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Prayer is not just positive thinking. Prayer is not just speaking gentle wishes into the universe. We are approaching a throne, and there is a person on that throne. God sits on that throne in power and wisdom and goodness. And we ask in our time of need. It's also beautiful how this throne is described. It's not called the throne of splendor, or this, this throne of power. It's called the throne of, what do you see there? Grace. This is not just a place for the beautiful and the good. This privilege is not reserved for the super Christians or the spiritual giants. It's the throne of Grace. This throne of grace is for the sinful, the losers, the failures, the desperate, and the needy. We can come as we are, warts, stains, flaws, and all, because this is a throne of grace. So come. Ask. And then lastly, We're instructed to come boldly. We can come with confidence, boldly believing that our great high priest Jesus loves us so much. He gave his life as a sacrifice on the cross so that you and I can be redeemed, forgiven, and have everlasting life. If God didn't spare his son, will he not give you all things? I don't come because I deserve. I come because there is only one who loves me so much. He's the one who knows everything about me. Things I don't want you to ever know. But he knows. And he loves me. And he said, I love you so much. I paid for you. And I give you forgiveness and eternal life. It's not the throne of wrath, it's the throne of grace. And he says, I, I want you to come boldly. Whatever. You need today. He anxiously waits for you to come. You know, sometimes one of our biggest problems is that, honestly, we come to church, right? Y'all look so good today. I'm telling you. Have you ever heard the term Sunday best? It used to mean you all wore dress clothes. It doesn't mean that anymore. But you still come in your Sunday best because look how good your hair looks today. I mean, you look pretty snazzy. We all come to church, right? And sometimes we forget to put on a coat of humility And when we don't put on a coat of humility, we lock out the grace of God. Because you know what? God's not going to help who doesn't need His help. It requires humility to say, God, I need your help. I need your forgiveness. I need your guidance. I need you. But actually, over and over again, humility, the declaration of our need for help opens the door to God's greatest work and his best gifts. 1 Peter 5, 5-6, to six, submit to God. Resist the devil. Likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility, for God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. James 4, 6 to 7, kind of the same verse. He gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but God gives grace to the humble therefore submit yourselves to God resist the devil and he will flee from you do, do you realize that when we gather together and we have a prayer time and invite you to come forward and let someone pray with you and pray for you yeah i get it it requires humility. you humility you leave your seat and you walk to the front what you're saying is i need help And we don't wanna do that. And so we walk out of here, nothing gained. Because all you got is you. But when we respond with humility and obedience and ask for help and invite, the prayer of someone in this faith community in that moment, something happens. And the grace of God opens us up to receive. And that's what we're going to do now. I'm going to ask you if you would stand, please.